good to be together tonight. Hope that you've had a good day today. Hope that you've had a happy Easter to spend some time with some family, to have a good meal, or to just enjoy the beautiful sunshine. It's amazing to think that people in the world are thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. People who wouldn't typically think about Jesus are thinking about Him today. I think for that we can be thankful and for that uh, we can use as an opportunity to further the gospel not only in other people's lives but also in our lives. Tonight we're continuing to talk about Jesus. We're not quite to the resurrection yet in the gospel of Mark but if you want to get out your Bibles we're going to be in the 14th chapter of the gospel of Mark looking at the first nine verses of that chapter. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be studying together in verses 1 through 9. I don't know about you, but there are people in my life, whenever I think about them, I automatically think about a story of something that they've done or something that they've said. It's like you can't separate the two from one another. When I think about the person, I think about this story. Whenever I talk to the person, I mention this story. Whenever I talk about the person, I tell this story. The, the, the person and the story are so connected in my mind that it's hard to separate the two. I'll give you an example. There was a friend of mine was also on the cross-country team at Freed Hardman. Every time I think about him, I think about this story from when he was in high school. What's awesome to me about this story is that he didn't want to tell it to us. His mom was actually the one who told it to us. So if you want to hear good stories, maybe you need to talk to mom and dad. That's what we did. And she told us this story that when he was in high school, he finished a cross-country race. He came home, had never done this before, but got the urge to take a bath. So he went into the bathroom. He took off his favorite cross-country t-shirt that represented his school, had his name on the back. He took it off and just threw it. Didn't think about where it went. A few, a few moments before that, he had flipped on the light, which was a chandelier hanging down from the ceiling. He got in the bath and started soaking. A few minutes later, laying there with his eyes closed, he started to smell smoke. He opened up his eyes, and the room was filled with smoke. He thought, where in the world is this smoke coming from? Is, is our house on fire or something? Well, it turns out when he had taken off his t-shirt and threw it, it landed on the chandelier that was coming down from the ceiling, and the, his shirt just about caught on fire. If he would have been in there for a few minutes, I think his shirt would have caught on fire. He said when he pulled down his favorite shirt off of the chandelier, there was a big hole in the chest, so he had to throw away his favorite cross-country shirt. I don't know why, but, but every time I think about him, I, I think about that story. I saw him just about two months ago, three months ago when I was at the Fried Hardman Lectures, and I mentioned this story to him whenever I saw him. Anytime I talk about this individual, this is the story that I go to because the person is so closely tied to the story that you can't separate the two from one another. Tonight, I think it's important for us to recognize that the gospel is the same way. Whenever we think about the gospel of Jesus, whenever we think about the good news of Jesus Christ, there are stories that are tied so closely to the gospel that you can't separate the two. 
Maybe when you think about the Gospel, you think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what came to Paul's mind when he defines what the Gospel is and breaks it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe when you think about the Gospel, you think about how we respond to the Gospel, how we repent and we're baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Tonight, we're going to be looking at one of those stories. That's so closely tied to the Gospel. It's so closely connected to the Gospel that you can't separate the two. Did you notice the last verse in our reading from just a few moments ago? Verse number 9, Mark chapter 14. And truly I say to you, Jesus says, wherever the Gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We're going to look at a story tonight about a woman. And what a woman did to Jesus. What a woman did for Jesus. Jesus was so impressed by her actions that He actually says, wherever the good news is preached in the entire world, what this woman has done is going to be told and declared and proclaimed in memory of her. The passage that we're looking at tonight is so closely tied to the heart of the Gospel that we can't separate the two from one another. But maybe when we read that verse, we run into the question, why? Why this story? In Mark chapter 14, verses 1-9, through 9, why, why is this story about this woman so closely tied to the heart of the Gospel message? Why does Jesus look at what this woman does to Him and for Him and walk away saying, wherever the Gospel is preached in the whole world, they're going to talk about what you did. They're going to talk about and they're going to share what you have done for me in memory of you. Well, let's answer that question why as we walk through the passage together and as we think about this section of Scripture together. It begins in the first couple of verses. In Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Mark gives us the setting of what's going on, that it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a significant note because that tells us, depending on how you count the time, Jesus is either two or three days away from His crucifixion. Jesus is coming up on the suffering that He's going to go through. How He's going to be rejected. How He's going to be beaten. How He's going to be hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, and then three days later rise from the dead. He had told His disciples that was going to happen. And now we're just a few days away from it chronologically in the Gospel of Mark. Mark begins this chapter by talking about the chief priests and the scribes. Those who were the Jewish religious leaders. Those who led religiously during the time. Mark says that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to do two things. They wanted to arrest Jesus by stealth. And they also wanted to kill Jesus. This is not new. You go back to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. We're in Mark 14. You go back to Mark chapter 3 and you find the same thing. That the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Him how to destroy Him. Then you jump to the 11th chapter in verse number 18. That the chief priests and the scribes, that's the same group we're talking about here, heard it and what were they doing? It says the same thing as Mark chapter 3. They were seeking a way to destroy Him for they feared Him because all the crowd was astonished at His teaching. And then you go to the 12th chapter in verse number 12. The Bible says that the Jewish religious leaders, when they heard a parable that Jesus had to say, it says they were seeking to arrest Him, but they feared the people. For they perceived that He had told the parable against them, so they left Him and went away. We find the same story here in Mark the 14th chapter. You have the chief priests, 
You have the scribes. They are looking. This is a continuous action. They are looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill Jesus. They don't want to do it too quickly. They don't want to do it out in the open. As we saw, the people perceived Jesus to be a prophet. They held Him in really high regard. There were a lot of people in the city of Jerusalem celebrating the Passover at this time. And they didn't want to incite an uproar. They didn't want to incite an insurrection. And so they had to be very careful about how they went about arresting Jesus and ultimately putting Him to death. I think it's important to note when you look at the first couple verses and then you look forward to this story that we're going to see from this woman, the woman that we're going to talk about tonight stands in direct contrast to the chief priest and the scribes in the first two verses. The chief priests and the scribes were doing everything that they could to get rid of Jesus, to reject Jesus, to arrest Jesus, to kill Jesus. That was the only thing on their minds. When you come to the woman throughout the rest of this section, the only thing on her mind is her love for Jesus and her devotion to Jesus. And that's what we see as we continue reading. Mark takes us into the village of Bethany, which was just a little bit outside the city of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus spent the night in Bethany during the last week of His life, the last week before His crucifixion. He traveled to Jerusalem at the day and, and spent the night in Bethany. So He's in the house of a man called Simon the leper. This is probably someone who was formerly a leper, someone who Jesus or His disciples had healed of leprosy. If He still had leprosy, He wouldn't be having a dinner party and people wouldn't be at His house. But here's Jesus and His disciples. They're reclining at Simon the leper's table. They're sharing a meal together. No telling how many people were there. And the text tells us that a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, which was very costly or very expensive. I find it interesting that Mark doesn't tell us what this woman's name is. He doesn't tell us throughout the entirety of the text. Jesus says in verse number 9 that what she's done, wherever the Gospel is proclaimed throughout the entire world, what she's done is going to be told in memory of her. But Mark doesn't even give us her name. And perhaps that was intentional. This story is not about the woman. This story is not about her name. It's about what she does for Jesus. It's about her devotion to Jesus. It's about her love for Jesus. On a side note, the same thing is true for us, isn't it? Our lives are not about who we are, but who we have become through the grace and mercy of the Lord. Our lives are not about our names. It's not about putting ourselves out there, but it's about falling in love with Jesus and being devoted to Him in everything that we do. That's what we see in this woman. But if you go to John chapter 12, verses 1-9, through if this is the same story in Mark chapter 14 that John is telling, then this is Mary the sister of Lazarus and Martha who lived in the village of Bethany. This is Mary who's doing these things. Notice what she does. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment. Some translations might say perfume. It says it was of pure nard and it was very costly or very expensive. When you think about these alabaster flasks, more than likely this is what we should picture. This is what those flasks look like. They really only served one purpose and they're serving their purpose here in Mark the 14th chapter to carry perfume or to carry ointment. Back in the first century world, perfume or ointment was very significant. It was very important. You can imagine that they didn't have a bathing and shower routine like we do today. 
So they would use the perfumes, they would use the ointments in order to cover up body odor. And so she's carrying this alabaster flask. It's filled with ointment. The text says that it was pure nard, which would have been imported from India, quite a distance away from where they are in the city of Jerusalem. And then Mark tells us that it was very expensive. It was very costly. In verse 3, he doesn't tell us how expensive it is. But if you skip down to verse 5, he tells us how expensive it is. That this ointment could have been sold, the text says, for more than 300 denarii. That's a lot of money. One denarius was a single, single day's wage. And so we're talking about more than 300 days worth of wages. I know this isn't possible, but just for the sake of illustration, imagine working for an entire year. Saving up all the money, not spending a single penny. At the end of the year, you'd have enough money to buy this ointment. You'd have enough money to buy this perfume. When Mark tells us that it was very expensive, when he tells us that it was very costly, he's not joking around. This is about a year's worth of wages that she's carrying in this alabaster flask. So what does she do with it? Well, you look at the end of verse 3, and the Bible says that she broke the flask and she poured the ointment or the perfume over Jesus' head. Maybe the automatic question that comes to our minds is why in the world did she do that? If you had that alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard and it was worth more than a year's worth of wages, what would you do with it? Maybe you would sell it. Maybe you would keep it. No telling how much money you had to spend in order to get this flask of ointment, in order to acquire it in the first place. Maybe you would do what's suggested in verses 4 and 5, that there were some in this crowd who saw this happening who were indignant. They were angry whenever this woman did this. Why was the ointment wasted like that? Hey, do you not realize how costly that is? Do you not realize how expensive that is? Why are you taking this really expensive ointment and wasting it by putting it on Jesus' head? That, that's where we find verse 5, that the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and then that money given to the poor. If you're wondering about the speaker there, and this is the same story that John chapter 12 tells, this is Judas Iscariot who said these words the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Verse 6 tells us his intention in saying these things, that he said this not because he cared about the poor. He's not saying, hey, you could have sold this and given the money to the poor because he cares about the poor. He only said this because he was a thief. Notice that that's a comment about his character and having charge in the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so these words, when they come from Judas Iscariot, they're coming from insincere motives. But notice that in Mark tells us that it was multiple people who were saying this. Judas Iscariot may have been the leader, but he wasn't the only one looking at this woman and scolding her, rebuking her, raking her over the coals. Why would you waste something so expensive? Why would you take this ointment and put it on Jesus' head? Wouldn't you want to use it for yourself? You could do something good with it. Sell it and give the money to those who are poor. How does Jesus respond to that? Jesus' response is powerful in verse number 6. Jesus looked at this crowd, the ones who were indignant, the ones who were scolding this woman, and said, leave her alone. That's a command. Don't say another word to her. Don't bother her about this. Don't rebuke her for what she's doing. He asked them a question, why are you troubling her? She hasn't done something foolish. 
She hasn't done something wasteful. Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing to me. Those in the, in the crowd, those who were in the house were looking at that and saying, that's a waste. That's foolish. Why would you waste something so expensive by just putting it on Jesus' head? Jesus didn't see it as a waste. Jesus didn't see it as foolish. Jesus says she has done something beautiful. Well, okay, explain that logic to me. He says in 7, you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you're not always going to have me. In that, Jesus is not discrediting helping the poor. Jesus is not saying that helping the poor is, is not important. What he is saying is that there's something more important in front of you right now. That I'm here with you right now, God in the flesh, God coming from heaven to earth, and you're not always going to have this. We said just two or three days past this, Jesus is going to be hung on a cross. Six hours later, he's going to breathe his last breath. And as we talked about this morning, his body is going to be put inside of a tomb. You always have the poor with you. You can help them whenever you want to. But you're not always going to have me. In just a few days, Jesus is going to be crucified and buried. And that's what he points to in verse number 8. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. We talked about the importance of ointments and perfumes for those who were living to cover up body odor. But it was also important for those who had passed. Those who were dead. Jews did not embalm their dead. Instead, they would take the corpses, lay them in a tomb, and a few days later, cover the decaying body with the oils and the perfumes and the ointments to try to cover up the stench of decay. Now, I don't think the woman knows that she's doing this. I don't think that she knows what Jesus is going to go through. She doesn't know that she's anointing Jesus' body beforehand for burial, but Jesus uses what she's done to communicate that message. And that's where we go to verse number 9. Whenever we see what this woman has done, taking the very expensive ointment and breaking the flask and pouring it on Jesus' head, wherever the Gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. A story that's so closely connected to the Gospel that you can't separate the two. But then we ask the question, why? Why is this the story that's so closely connected to the Gospel? Why is Jesus so impressed by this? Why is Jesus looking at what this woman did and saying wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done is going to be told in memory of her? I think we find a good summary of what she did and a good summary of the entire story in verse number 8. Jesus simply says that she has done what she could. And that's what this text is all about. I think that's why this story is at the heart of the gospel message, the good news message of Jesus. This woman did what she could. Now there are a lot of things in this text that the woman didn't do, wouldn't you say? She didn't go out and preach to people. She didn't go out and teach people about the kingdom like the apostles had been doing. She didn't heal anybody. She didn't cast out a demon from anybody. She didn't have the banquet at her house. They weren't reclining around her table. There's a lot of things that she didn't do in this passage. But that's not what Jesus is focused on. Jesus is not focused on what this woman didn't do. He's focused on what she did do. The beautiful thing that she did. Anointing His body beforehand for burial. To put it simply... She did what she could. 
I think in that, we find what Jesus expects from us. In that, we find what Jesus wants from us, what Jesus desires from you and from me on a daily basis. From this story, we learn that Jesus expects us to do what we can. Jesus expects us to be like this woman and to do the things that we can do. So often, we think about the things we can't do. We think about the areas where we're restricted. Jesus doesn't want us to focus on what we can't do. He wants us to focus on what we can do. Jesus expects us to do what we can. And that's true in a number of different areas. Jesus wants us to do what we can whenever it comes to our gifts and our talents that we've been given. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on and talks about these different gifts and says, if you have this, then use it. If you have this, then use it. Our gifts are all different. We aren't all talented in the same ways. We have God's grace in our lives. These gifts are things that we don't deserve, but also our grace differ. You don't have the same talents that I do. You don't have, I, I don't have the same talents that you do. So often we become fixated on the talents that other people have. Well, if I can't do what that person does, then I'm not going to do anything at all. If, if I can't serve like that person, if I can't imitate that person, if, if I can't do the things that that person does, then I must not be valuable to the body of Christ. Again, go back to this passage in Mark 14. The Christian life, specifically our gifts and talents, they aren't about what we can't do. They're about what we can do. Jesus expects us to do what we can with the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that we've been given. What's the result of that? Well, in Ephesians 4 and verse number 16, Paul says that's how the church, when you look at the end, when I'm doing my part and you're doing your part, when I'm doing what I can with my gifts and you're doing what you can with your gifts, that's when the body grows at the end of verse 16 on the outside. So it's going to grow in number, but it's also going to build itself up in Love. Jesus expects us to do what we can with our gifts and our talents. Jesus expects us to do what we can with our resources. You look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, a verse we read a lot. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper. But it's not just about the Sunday morning assembly. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says this is who we should be on a daily basis. Why do you go to work? Why do you labor? Why do you do honest work with your hands? Paul says, so it's that we may have something to share with anyone who's in need. God expects us to use our resources to serve His church, to serve His people, to serve those who are struggling, to serve those who are in need. We might be tempted to look at other people and say, well, they have more resources than I do. And we get discouraged because they're able to share to a greater degree than I am. Don't think about what other people do. Think about you. Jesus expects you to do what you can with the resources that you've been given. What about our time? You go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Paul says that we are to be careful about how we walk. Older translations say walk circumspectly. It's like the picture of walking through a minefield. If you were walking through a minefield, how careful would you be with each step that you take? That's the same way here. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you go throughout life, not as unwise, but as wise. How do you do it? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Here Paul tells us that if we're going to walk as those who are wise, if we are going to be careful how we walk, then we need to make the best use of our time that we possibly can. That's going to look different for everybody. Depending on your stage of life, depending on your job, depending on the things that you're involved in, the things that your family's involved in, depend on, depending on the friends that you have and the family that you have, the hobbies that you're a part of, your time is going to be divided in a lot of different ways. So sometimes we might get discouraged. We look at other people. They're serving in the church more than I am. This person gets to stay home with their family more than I do. Again, the message is don't look at other people. Just do what you can do. There are only so many hours in a week. There are only so many hours in a day. Make the best use of the time by doing what you can with the time that God has given to you. With every breath that God has given to you. This woman is commended by Jesus. Wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done is going to be told about her. And we might expect her to do something great, to do something magnificent, to do something impressive. All that she did was what she could. So what's your life going to look like this week? What's my life going to look like this week? Are we going to live up to the expectation of Jesus to do what we can with what He has given to us? If we can help you to do that tonight, then we'd love to. As together we stand and sing.